0: Is the mini market podcast?
1: Welcome back to the mini market podcast, episode sixty-four, coming off a tough week last week as the wolves are bounced from the playoffs. Isaiah, your wolves bounced. How are you feeling today? Uh, the wound is still fresh, I would say.
2: I think the consensus has been like, hey, it was a good year. Uh, we got doubled our wins, you know, won a play in game, pushed a good team kind of to the brink, had a chance to win a series, but um and those things are all true, but I uh, tell you what, it still hurts. It still hurts when you feel like you could have won a series and could still be playing and uh you never know what happens. You get Draymond Green to, you know get himself ejected from a couple games, we might have a chance against Golden State. But here we lie, uh, moving into the offseason.
1: Lucas, NFL draft just completed this past weekend. How is morale for you and your Vikes? Um, I think it's
3: pretty good. I mean, I don't think we made like a huge splash in the draft. Um, I think we definitely saw some maybe first time jitters from Kwasi in that at least the first trade that he made from 12 to 32. Um, a lot of fans were not happy about that, um, but we'll get into that. But overall, I think they, they address the need, the top needs of the team. So I think he had a plan and he kind of stuck
1: to it. So I'm feeling good so far. And Dalton also here. Um, twins are in mid season form. How are we
0: feeling about them? Greatest Twins team of our lifetime, maybe? I don't know. You tell me. First place, AL Central. Best division in baseball.
1: Best division, yep. There it is, folks. So as you can see, four, four crew, four-man crew today. We got the whole group. Let's circle back to the uh, Wolves. We'll start with that. Wolves lose 4-2 in the series against Memphis. Um, but, I mean, you look at the whole series, and there's just there's a lot to unpack here. There were some good situations the Wolves were in, and then some catastrophic situations. The series had kind of everything. Um, Ike, I know you mentioned your thoughts early. Let's kind of dive a little deeper. How are you feeling about maybe we start with Kat? That seems yeah. like the big, the big thing on Twitter right now, the big thing going on viral.
2: Yeah, uh, I know we, we touched about Kat and kind of his progression as a individual to watch last week and how Dalton was ready to trade him, ready to ship him out like every other mm-hmm. then I came around. Minnesota. Um, yeah, glad. Uh, so I'm doubling down as cat is our guy. I am, I'm going to be ride or die with cat. I know he's going to continue to do things that are a little bit, uh, funky, maybe a little bit dare I say, cringe at times, but I mean, the hate that he's getting in this from this series is ridiculous. He literally made the opposing team's starting center all year unplayable for the entire playoff series. Memphis could not play Stephen Adams, and then he put a top five uh, defensive player of the year candidate in Justin or Jaren Jackson Jr. He put him on like notice all series, like he was in foul trouble all series because he just couldn't handle Cat. Uh, I think he was really solid. He had some bounce back games. He was important. Um, he did a good job of not fouling for a a good portion of the series. So I thought we saw some growth and maturity um, from him in this series. I think there's obviously still going to be things that like you can turn to and be like, man, that really sucks that he didn't quite have that clutch gene. Maybe Uh, you think about game five when he dribbled that one off his foot and then a couple bad possessions in game six. But I think overall, if anybody is like, bashing cat, you just know they didn't really watch this series and you can kind of just ignore them, which is really nice. It, it's just like a good, easy filter for your brain. You don't even have to give them any notice. So I'll toss it
0: to Dalton with that. So you know what this is like? This is like you're out at a bar with your friend. I've realized that all, most of my like analogies... <laughs> Dalton's a bar guy. Yeah, bar I don't it. know why. Oh, look.
1: <laughs> This is actually an adventure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, let me get my paper
2: out. Uh, yeah. Dalton, Dalton, love you. you, you are one, you're one of my dearest friends, but your actions lately have made you alien to me. Uh,
1: I don't even know who I'm looking at.
0: <laughs> so you're out at a bar with your friend. Your friend spills his drink. So you start making fun of him. You start giving him crap. But then other people start making fun of your friend. And then you're like, hey, shut up. This guy's my friend. You don't talk to him like that. This is Cat when Cat's doing stupid Mm -hmm. stuff and we're like, come on, Cat, like cut that out. But then all of a sudden the national media just starts piling on and it's like, hey, shut up. This guy's special. This guy's an awesome player. Don't talk to him like that. Yeah. And then just to add on to that
2: analogy, you also have kind of that friend that you bring along, but you kind of wanted to tell him you were going to a different bar, but he, Mm -hmm. he he found the right one and he's there and he's sitting in the booth or like maybe standing up kind of awkwardly to the side, dripping out leaky farts, just stinky ones in the bar. And everybody's kind of like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, where's that coming from? Where's that? Ooh, what's that? But nobody really wants to like talk about it because it's kind of like it ruins the vibe. Um, And that's D'Angelo Russell just letting out leaky farts all series long.
1: Yeah, I feel like that was one of my biggest takeaways from the series was like, Delo was just disappointing.
0: Oh my god, it was tough. Oh, brutal. For a max guy, I didn't realize some of the guys who are in sort of Delo's salary class, some of his his like peers in terms of thirty million a year. So I had a tweet this week. I, I did a little digging. Uh, the Mini Market Pod retweeted it. So uh, I said Delo made thirty million dollars this year. So here are some other twenty-five to thirty million dollar guys who played round one. Here are their stat lines. So Delo thirty million. Averaged 12 points, two and a half rebounds, 6.7 assists. Here's some other names. Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. They all averaged 20 to 29 points, like 5 Assists, five rebounds. Like they just blew Delo out of the water. And it, it really put it in perspective to me because I know we're like, oh, Delo's a max guy. Yeah, yeah. But then you look at some of the guys who are making the same money as him and you're like, dude, you didn't show up at all. Like these are guys who carry teams. And Delo, like we were winning despite, we were winning in spite of Delo. And that honestly had been sort of the case
2: all like the whole second half of the season was D'Lo is one of the few guys on our team that had a kind of like a negative plus minus um, in the second half of the season, which is wild to think about. I I think he really coasted on um, having a resurgence or like a new awakening on the defensive end in the first half of the season. Like he got this kind of like he changed rap of like, oh, Delo's this like defensive floor general where he's like calling out like defensive schemes and like keeping everybody accountable except for himself when he's like. And I think what happened in the second half of the season is like teams would key in on him and they'd, they'd pick till they got the switch on Delo and they just go at him. Kind of like what the Wolves were doing to John Morant um, mm-hmm. in, in game six. It was like when you find that weak link, you just got to go for it. And continually it was Delo. So, um, it's going to be an interesting future with him and the Timberwolves. Like, I don't exactly know where we stand right now. The question for me is like, obviously the hate is out right now on DLO and everybody is kind of like he, so he has one year left on his contract. Is he tradable? Is he movable? Do you, you obviously probably don't want to extend him. Um, but like, how much is this noise going to impact him personally? Like, is he going to deflect and be like, Oh, like they just, they, like, they don't get who I am. Like they don't understand my game. Or is he going to like take it to heart and be like, all right, I didn't have it this series. I didn't play well enough for my team. Like here are the things that I need to improve on. And is he going to really improve this summer? Or is he kind of set in his ways like his DLO, DLO at this point? That for me is like a really interesting question to see.
1: I think the biggest thing that stood out in the series from a DLO perspective was like for me when McLaughlin got in there and especially in game six. Like, our team just looked so much better offensively and defensively. I mean, like, low key was kind of dropping dimes. Like, there was that pass in the corner where it was like kind of a no look through the two defenders. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely chaotic. McLaughlin's not our starting point guard by any means, in my opinion. But it was just like, wow, he comes in and it's just like, he's not forcing shots. He's not trying to go ISO. We're actually running offense. Like, oh man, it's like, this is what playoff basketball looks like for good teams and like it's kind of fun when we're looking like a good team in the postseason and like obviously there's some moving pieces but ant what like felt like a great series from him obviously he's gonna take some dumb shots he even said that in some post-game interviews like i'm I'm just gonna pull the trigger and then in the, he said basically in the offseason he's gonna shoot from everywhere on the court so he feels comfortable shooting from basically anywhere which is kind of funny hopefully um hopefully we bring them in because he does take some bad shots, but I think he averaged 24 and a half points a game. And I don't know if you guys saw the tweet, but there was a tweet basically saying like 19 year olds that have in this ballpark. It's like Kobe at 18. And granted he's on a way different team than Ant is. He's getting probably Ant's getting more shots than Kobe was at 18, 19, but some big name players there that were below him at his age, which is kind of like maybe exciting, but could kind of be a sports center stat too. Who knows? But I just feel like really optimistic about the direction of, of uh, Anthony Edwards.
2: He just continues to be that, of uh, that dude player where he like wants the biggest moment. He wants to step up. He's, he's like not scared of anything. Uh, so everything I saw from him was very positive. I mean, he, he was defending really well in this series. Like he, he, it's like when he wants to he's he's a really good defender and he's really athletic and he makes he makes it hard on everybody and he's blocking shots grabbing rebounds like and he's like a an ultimate like no 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 and then it's like swish and you're like yes great Sick. shot and it's like because you just don't like you don't honestly like understand or respect his actual abilities and how much they've grown in like a year and a half two years in the nba so i'm, I'm super excited to see uh everything that he develops over this off season.
0: I think this series kind of went as well as possible in a weird way for Ant's development long long term because he got a taste of success. Like he played really well, put up really good stats, but like the Wolves sort of choked three leads away. So it's like, Ant, you did really well, but, but now we need you to close. Like if you can, if Ant could become a closer with that like Kobe end of game, like give me the ball, I'm scoring. Like if he takes that step, it's curtains. I mean, if that if we get that ant plus cat plus whoever you put around them, that team's going to be dynamic for the next five, six years.
3: I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that was the reason we lost games, right? Because we'd have these double-digit leads and then basically no one stepped up to to score to close. It just we've talked about it kind of at length where the offense just goes stagnant and like no one really knows. It looks like no one really knows what the plan is, and they're just like throwing up shots, hoping it will go in. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like Connor said, for Ant, he looks like he really wants to commit. And that is,
1: that, that has hope for me. Yeah. Kind of uh, my last general question, I think I'll throw out there is wh- what's the future for this team in terms of players on the roster? Is it too soon to start speculating on the off season or where, where are we at with um, with contracts and with guys potentially leaving coming back, I know you mentioned D. like Any other thoughts on other players, whether they provide value to our team long term or not?
2: Okay, so two things. One, I have to apologize to two players: Jaden McDaniels and Jordan McLaughlin. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, like I think he's just barely scratching the surface. Like I think he's Game falling. Six was like an illustration of some of the crazy stuff that he's capable of doing, and like he's a game changer. Um me my personal sentiment on him totally changed when I I heard a report that he's like an unreal shit talker. Like love that. And Huge and plus. You, you literally you'd never guess it which I think is amazing. Like Funny. the low key shit talkers are the most frustrating people to play against in any sport because like you feel extra bad getting like emo like when you have an emotional rise out of something that they say to you because you know you can't get them back and they don't even change their facial expression. We're like a guy like Patrick Beverly, he does a good job and he does his thing, but it's so and it's like the Draymond Green, like it's so over the top. Where like he they can suck you into their own atmosphere, but you kind of know it's two guys going down the same path together where when a guy, a quiet guy does it, it's you going down a path by yourself and he's leaving you at the side of the road. And I think that is amazing. Um, and we, there's the report that he's going to be working out with Kawhi. So that worries me for the next, uh, I think it's going to be great for like three years if he works out with Kawhi for the Timberwolves, but I think year four or five, it's going to be, uh, scary when he all of a sudden has like a pretend injury and chooses not to play. And then we never see him again. And then he just <laughs> pops up and he's on a different team, but I'll take that ride. Uh, I guess 10 times out of 10, <laughs> <laughs> um, the Jordan McLaughlin apologies is just like he, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I said, he's just a good story. Like he's a fun guy, but I totally underestimated his value to the team and like his ability to like, he's, he's a smart player and he, he knows his strengths and his weaknesses. I obviously don't think that he is as maybe as good as he was in game six. Like, Mhm. Uh, like he's still not gonna be a starting point guard but i think what he did is he really illustrated like kind of opened everybody's minds to the idea that like is a shot first pick and roll point guard really what this team needs right now or is it a more like get keep the ball moving distributing point guard who's going to play good defense and i think the tide kind of turned in this game or in this series especially with dlo but like I think it was magnified by the fact that Jordan McLaughlin did play well when he played and it was a good matchup for him. Like him, mm-hmm. like him against John Tyus is you don't have that size discrepancy that really hurts you. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen with D'Lo future, but there are two guys that are unrestricted free agents. This I can coming jump jumping on the
0: Jordan McLaughlin thing and quickly I, before we transition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think- for sure. Juan, first question. Do you think him closing game six over D'Lo was more of a testament to how well McLaughlin played or was it a signal to D'Lo, like a shot at D'Lo by by Finch to say like, wake up, dude? Uh I don't think
2: it was a shot. I think it was literally like you have to, you like Best you're chance. in a do or die situation and one guy was playing well and one guy looked like he'd never played basketball before. Like every time D'Angelo Russell touched the ball, it was chaos. Yeah, it was chaos. Like, that pass that he th- tried to thread through to, oh. to cat. like, it, I don't know, man. Like he would get a steal and then he would just like, he like usually is so cool and calm and like controlled with the basketball, but he didn't have any of that vibe in game six. So I, I don't know if it was necessarily a shot. I think it was just like, you had to go with the hot hand and, uh, it was McLaughlin in game six.
0: And then do you think yeah to build off of that? Oh, go ahead. Dalt. I was going to ask Isaiah, um, or I guess I could ask the group, do we think Jordan McLaughlin has supplanted Isaiah as little man of the year on the Mini Market Podcast? (laughs) Good question.
1: (laughs) Well, the the year-end awards don't go up for a little while, so but yeah, he'll be on the ballot. ballot. One thing that I think is like, uh, if you take a step back, high-level picture of the Wolves, you know what we haven't had to do as Wolves fans in a long time is apologize for players outperforming. So if nothing else, that feels like a step in the right direction right there, because I don't know the last time that we had to apologize to a wolf. because it's like, wow, they had a great season and we thought they were going to suck. It's usually the opposite. So that's kind of nice.
2: Agreed. Agreed. I mean, and like I said at the beginning of the show, like everything that people are saying to kind of like get through this difficult loss in a series is true. Like they have improved immensely. It was a super fun season. Dilo, hate him or love him, he did get the crowd, like, he changed the culture at Target Center by calling everybody out. Like, that was a pivotal moment in the season when he told us to get off our asses. Um, so, no matter what, Dilo left at least a legacy in that regard.
1: The future of a couple
2: other guys yeah. did you have? Yeah. So, I think, like I was saying, like, it's, it's uh, wh- what do the Timberwolves need as a point guard? Obviously, it was Ricky Rubio. It was it was Ricky Rubio all along. He was the guy. He if we have Ricky Rubio, a whole different season. Uh, I'll just say it. I'll be the first to say it. He wouldn't have got hurt here. Uh, it was that new court in Cleveland. His body didn't adjust correctly. But truly, it was like everybody's now like, oh, we want a defensive point guard who's really smart who keeps the ball moving. You makes good plays to keep everybody engaged. That's Ricky Rubio. It always has been. It always will be. Um, but that's that's me. That's my personal thing. I love Ricky. But Tyus Jones, unrestricted free agent, twenty twenty two. Do you take mm-hmm. him back? Is he a starting he made, caliber point guard? Made that big shot in clutch time.
3: pretty much yeah,
0: it. Four that was like, big wow. shots in clutch time. In that would have been nice. He seems like if you took a middle ground between Jordan McLaughlin and Ricky Rubio, you would get Tyus. Yeah, yeah. Do you take him? He
1: feels like a backup to me. I don't know why, but I just, it's hard to picture him as being the guy for me. And maybe it's because of his time in Minnesota where he did go through bad spurts. Like I I am legitimately concerned at his ability to knock down like an open shot. And that's based on seeing this series basically and watching him, I would say miss four out of five big time open shots that he had. Um, and I get it. Like we may need to move in the more Ricky Rubio direction. Um, but I just, I don't think Tyus is the guy to be our starting point guard. He'd be an okay. awesome backup, obviously. But. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, Memphis was very good when he played just yeah, not just this series all season long. He's very good when he played. He always leads the league in turnover to assist ratio. He just, just saying, like, th- just thinking about some of the options, just trying to change the perspective of like moving away from a scoring point guard means you're going to have to give something up and that's going to be scoring. So, second guy, unrestricted free agent 2022, Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. Thoughts?
0: If they could orchestrate a sign and trade for Jalen Brunson, I think that would be electric. He isn't as much of a facilitator as. A Rubio or a pass-first point guard. I do think he he's he's probably in between, like a Rubio and a D'Lo, where he's gonna get you more offense on his own than Rubio, and maybe not distribute as much. Um, but I mean, the, the offense did click with D'Lo throughout the regular season, so it, it can still work with a guy who who does look to get his shot a little bit more than than most. So I would love that. But yeah, they mm-hmm. they ha- definitely have to orchestrate some kind of trade to get D'Lo to Dallas, sure. and then maybe they'd have to give up like their first round pick. But
2: I the the thing with D'Lo is like he they're a contender, so we're not trading him to a contender. Like it's just never gonna happen. Like he's a salary eat for a team. Like that's just trying to like tank essentially. I think is that's gonna be his landing spot because I think the jury's out on D'Lo generally across the league. I don't think he holds a ton of value anymore. Um, so I think you just try to trade him to get rid of his salary. And then can you sign it? Somebody else is just kind of how I'm thinking about it. But I wanted Jalen Brunson at the trade deadline. I, I, I like the dude, I think. And I, I think he's shown a lot. So I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I have to imagine Dallas sees him as part
1: of their future, but you never know. I lied before. I do have one final question for the group. After based on this season as a whole, as well as the postseason and the play in, how do you feel about Chris Finch as a head coach?
3: I'll go first. Um, I think he is still the guy. Um, he took this team in a new direction, it's a completely revamped, like just feel to the team, in my opinion. Um, but I mean, there were some really big questions about the blowing all these leads right at the end. I mean, that has to fall on him at some point. I know the players have to go out and execute his vision, but like, I, I, short, long story short, I think he's the guy still. But that, yeah, does leave one big question mark for me.
0: Dalt, I'm all in on Chris Finch. I mean, I, I, th- I think he's going to be like a, not to the level of like a Greg Popovich, but someone who is going to be synonymous with Timberwolves basketball. In like 15 years, it's going to be Timberwolves basketball and Chris Finch. Chris Finch is sort of the poster child of non-player. He might even supplant Flip long-term as, as, as the dude. Oh, that's wow.
3: Cool. Wow. Hot take. Rest flip's the big
0: fish in a small pond, but there might be a, a new fish... In the pond if you know what i mean like you look at flips numbers like they were good but they (laughs) weren't great it's just we only have like two coaches in our franchise history that have a 500 win percentage like it's not hard to be the dude when no one else is even close to an average coach so i think chris finch might be there someday
2: Uh, an average coach or the dude (laughs) Okay. I just want to clarify. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, I I'm with you, Dalton. I am so happy that he's here. So happy that he's been re-signed. Like it's just like, we've talked about it. I think over this past year, quite a bit about it's, it's really unsettling when you, how like quickly franchises and ownership want to move on from coaching staffs and like general managers. Um, so it's, it's really, really nice to feel like the carousel has ended At least for like hopefully a long while in Minnesota, the coaching carousel. So I like him. Uh, I think some of the issues that you saw is like he's slightly hamstrung by the like personnel that he has. Like this team was like played well, but they weren't like we're not like an amazing team. Like if you look at their defensive schemes, like you couldn't play anything but the high wall defensive scheme. Otherwise they got absolutely shredded. So that's challenging as a coach. Like you can only play one defensive scheme that's going to be. And it worked really well and there's like nothing else could work. So, um, and then you look at like, just like his chops is mine. Like as a, like the way he thinks through plays, like it, even if like, just an example in game six, uh, when he, we ran that out of bounds play for ant to get a three point opportunity. So game five, great play hits it game six, another great play. It just goes back iron. So, but I think, uh, even, um, Van Gundy called it out. He was like, that was an amazing play. Um, and then an aside on Van Gundy's, I actually really enjoy, um, when he calls games because he literally just is thinking about like the game of basketball the entire mm-hmm. time. Like it'll be like the, the announcer will try to go on like sort of a non sequitur that he's supposed to talk about this little story. And like Van Gundy will be like, they're switching to zone. Like he just like can't <laughs> not think about what's actually happening in front of him. I, I kind of like really love that about him. Um, so, totally yeah, I, I'm stoked that we have Chris Finch and I, I, I see really good things from him going forward. And I know, like Lucas said, those that the not being able to make the adjustments for your team that you've seen all year about fourth quarter blunders. But I, I think that will get corrected.
1: I was going to say, I think some of that comes with an inexperienced team. And like we talked about, like playoff experience probably matters. And some of that was just like guys taking the game into their own hands too. Like we talked a lot about possessions come down 18 seconds left on the shot clock. We're already in ISO. We're about to shoot. It was like, seems unnecessary at times. Ike said my point. So I'll just echo that. And like, I thought the out of bounds plays late in games were awesome. That's what I was going to bring up. I thought like, Oh man, that's a coach that, that, when it comes to it at the end of the game can put you in a chance to win. And then to Dalton's point earlier, if cat becomes, you know, this closer, I think Finch is going to do a nice job of putting him in positions to win games for us late last second shots. Have a lot of fun from a fan's standpoint.
0: I think we have the potential to see a huge jump from Chris Finch going to next season for two reasons, because one, this was the first season he was really able to use his own scheme. Like last year, he came in mid season and was just sort of tweaking what was already in place from Ryan Saunders. So then in the off season, he was able to finally implement what he had, but then he didn't, he didn't like have an off season to sort of tweak his own schemes to say like, this is what worked and this is what didn't work. You're kind of doing it on the fly, but now he has a full off season to sort of take a retrospective and say, okay, what worked, what didn't. And I had this playoff experience where the other team was scheming just for my schemes. So like this offseason is going to be huge for him to sort of make the tweaks at the margins or any big moves that he wants to make and just his like game to game coaching schemes. So I'm really excited to see what he comes up with next season.
1: Last, uh, maybe the last NBA point, just a quick synopsis. How did you feel about the play in tournament? Real quick answers, just curious to get the temp of the group. Do you like the play in the tournament? Do you hate it? Stressful, but I, I like it. Yeah, I feel like I think teams on the verge, it makes it fun that there's more teams that are kind of like in the hunt at the end of the year and have a chance to go deep, Lucas. Yeah, very similar. Um, I think
3: I like it because with the Wolves being so bad for so long, it gives them like an extra shot at getting into the playoffs and like how fun that atmosphere was just in that one playing game. Um, Just it's, it's fun for the fans, which I'm all about.
0: I think for me, the play in tournament was the best part of the Timberwolves season. The fact that the play in tournament existed and let me tell you why the fact that the play in tournament created a race for the sixth seed that would not have existed otherwise created really interesting basketball for the last third of the season because the Wolves were basically locked into the playoffs. They were well above the eight seed and in an, in a non-play in tournament season, they might've just rested guys and say, you know, it's unlikely that we're going to get the six seed. So let's make sure we're healthy going into the playoffs. But this created a reason to like really make a push. And it gave us a reason as fans to really watch every game, be watching the standings. And that race for the seed meant so much. We're in a non-play tournament season. It's like, eh, whatever like you're looking more at the matchups and like oh maybe we'd rather be the 7 seed cuz we'd rather play the grizzlies well now this season no like we wanted that 6 seed and like as a fan i mean that's really what it's all about is like the journey and like watching the development and just getting to see your guys play like game to game and like play important games and that's what this was all about like i i think it w- it made for a really fun last third of the season that wouldn't have existed otherwise
1: Great, great, great points. Great points. Um, Well, with that, we will transition and do a little puck talk, kind of looking forward towards the playoffs. The Wild, the Wild get the number two in uh, second place in the Central Division and will host the St. Louis Blues. Um, I've said it before on the podcast, and I think it's a good time for me to echo this. The playoff format in the NHL is bullshit and it severely disadvantages the wild, but um, that's pretty much all that needs to be said about that. We just kind of got to move on a record-breaking season for the wild. For those of you that aren't big wild fans, Um Kurok Kaprizov had 108 points, 47 goals, um, 61 assists. Insane year. First, he, this season will be first all time in points for a season for a player. I mean, looking ahead, not to forego this playoff but like we have a lot of fun in our future from a hockey standpoint for Kirill Kaprizov and this guy is legit he's going to probably be the greatest player to ever play for the wild if he can stay healthy and continue to have production like this it won't even be close Uh but even along with him Kevin Fiala 85 points Matsukarela 79 points even with missing games so like I think all three of them are top 5 all-time in points for the NHL or for the Minnesota Wild in a season. So, just a really really crazy offensive season, really fun season for the Wild and a ton of success to this point. With that said, we head into the series with the Blues, which is a team that gives us a really bad matchup. Um I know we kind of talked about the Timberwolves having a decent matchup with the Grizzlies. This is a horrible one for the Wild. And it's shown uh, we are o four and 3 in our last seven meetings against the Blues. So we are hoping to learn a lot from those seven meetings and, uh, and come out swinging. Um, we're due, baby. <laughs> we're due. We're due. Um, obviously, one of the top things was the injury report. It sounds like Felino, who was need um, in the game, I believe in... Was it in Vegas or Colorado? Excuse me. Um, he sounds like they're optimistic he'll play in game one, but they're pretty sure if he doesn't play in game one, he'll be back for game two, it sounds like, are the latest reports. And then Matsugarello, they said he's. they're confident he'll be there for game two. They're hoping he'll be back for game one as well, which would pretty much give us a, f- a full-strength team as we've been playing for the last you know, month or so. So that's big news. Foligno definitely moves the needle. Obviously, Zuccarello is our third third highest point getter this year. So he's two huge pieces. That if they're not there in game one, this could be a bloodbath for the Wild, fellas. Any thoughts? Anything you want to get off your chest about your about this Minnesota Wild team? I've got one thing
3: that I'm pretty optimistic about, um, and it's Mark Andre Fleury. Having him and all that playoff experience Stanley Cup finals experience um, I'm really hoping that just takes this team to the next level in the playoffs at least just because that being a goalie and being an experienced goalie in the playoffs I feel like is such a big thing um, and just having a you know a constant back there uh, I'm hoping we'll we'll be able to propel us uh, past
2: the blues here I was gonna ask Connor what do you think what would what do you think they're going to do with the goalie situation for the playoffs like i know we've been alternating but it's been more flurry than talbot like what do you think we're going to see cuz
1: early on in the year i mean talbot was untouchable for the first half of the year yeah not to give away my prediction just yet but i think that the the series will decide a lot of how that goes i think it'll be mark andre flurry's net it feels like with the postseason experience he has it just seems like he's, he's the right guy to start it. And then I think you let him stay between the pipes as long as we can continue to be competitive or win games. So I think the nice thing for us is if we do get in a situation where he gives up two goals early in the first period, if you wanted to pull him, which I think probably wouldn't happen in the NHL because you just might mess with the guy's psyche more than anything, we do have an extremely capable backup. So two goalies that are about even when they're playing at their best. I'm, I think I'm pretty excited for that, but I, I kind of hope we only have to go with one for most of the series. Cause that usually indicates a good sign for the team. So I think it's Mark Andre Fleury's net to start, but this is totally a flip of the coin. I would say for administrate for the, for the, for the front office for the Minnesota wild. So the blues
2: as a, I think if you're a wild fan and and you say you're not scared of this matchup, you're kind of lying, right? Like I think it's just an unsettling Mm -hmm. draw. Like you talked about, uh, as a team overall, we just haven't matched up, but who specifically kind of scares you in this matchup?
1: Yeah, I, I think the forwards for the blues, like they have across the board, they have a big physical, um, a big physical presence which has been like a huge positive for honestly the the, the wild this year especially that erickson line has been big but the blues are very similar to the wild in the way that they're big physical and they also play really fast and so i think when we're playing the same style of hockey the wild have relied on like bullying teams a lot this year and like out physically them, I guess would not be the English way to say that, but essentially like playing more physical them than the other team and then wears them down during the game. The blues kind of play the same way. So that's going to be a big challenge for us this year, or I should say this series. So we'll have to see how, how it all plays out. But obviously like they're they're the top guy that has been there for a long time. And that's Tara He's a guy that if we can keep him off the score sheet, we're gonna have a lot better chance of competing in this in this series and hopefully advancing on to the next round. How many days do you think it takes for
2: him to be the most hated man in the state of Minnesota?
1: It's gonna be a few. If the if the Timberwolves <laughs> were playing still, I'm sure we'd have some Draymond hate. But with them done, uh he yeah, we're not gonna like him very, very quickly. And I think the goaltending situation, I think, is maybe one area that has been a little shaky at times, especially early in the season for the blues. So that's what I'm really hoping for is Bennington just sucks back there. Wait, is Bennington going to, sorry, is it going
2: to be, didn't they sign somebody else? Huso? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They have Bennington and then huso yeah. And so I, I mean, they've pretty much split games. huso okay. played three more games this year than Bennington. But I, I just kind of think that, as we get going in the, in the series, Bennington will have to play a couple games and those games are going to be the ones where the wild have to win. Cause Huso is like 25, seven and six this year. And so if he plays every game in the series, we're going to have a hard time, but if we can get to Bennington in the pipes, we're going to be, um, we'll have at least a chance. Cause as we talked about before the pod, but the way the, NHL sets it up. You almost have to play both goalies in the series. I mean, unless one guy just stands on his head and just has insane endurance, but um, I'm guessing we'll see them both just like we'll see both for the Wild. Well, with that being said, should we go do some predictions here? We'll start with Dalt.
0: How do you think this series is going to go? I'm clinging to the home ice advantage and I'm going to say Wild in seven. Game seven at the X. Get the dub.
3: Lucas, I'm also going wild in seven. I think the, the moves that Billy G made, um, he went all in. So, like, we got to find a way to pull this out. It's not going to be easy, but I think, yeah, home ice is a huge thing.
2: Mike? Uh, I'm going to have a little more faith in the squad. I'm going wild in five. I think your key five. impact player of the series is going to be Kevin Fiala. I think he's going to really, continue his hot Ryan streak Hartman's that he's been on. No Ryan Hartman? Well,
3: well, that's a given. I mean, Ryan that's Hartman's a given. a
2: given, right? Like Why he does what he does. You know, you just can count on him. He's reliable. He's dependable. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think Fiala is going to he's going to light up that lamp quite a few times. And so, wild and five.
1: We're all on the wild, as uh, Boomer would say. I'm um, not on the wild. I'm going to go with the blues oh. in six. So. I just I don't love the recent history this year and in the, into last year against the blues. We're just they seem to have our number, and I think that continues in the series. So that'd be downer to round it out, but I got the blues in six. With that, we'll transition. Uh, maybe let's do some Vikes talk here. I know Lou touched on it at the top of the pod. Um, as a group, how are we feeling about the draft? Um, Lucas, we'll start with you if you want to dive in a little deeper how you felt. Um yeah, I'm actually very pleased with our our first three picks. Um,
3: I think there was a lot of questions there probably still are about the the whole twelve trading back to thirty two not getting like a next year first round or or basically not getting more from from Detroit um basically allowing them to trade up and get a weapon to stay within the division um so I, the the thing though that i was happy about was after that with the packers um in the second round Kwesi looked to have like learned from his mistake and did a much better job i think with that trade i don't know again they'd never really say anything i watched his whole press conference and he's you know dodging questions like oh we had offers whatever um but Louis scene looks like he's going to be a really good complement to Harrison Smith. Um, Andrew Booth, I was actually a guy that I really thought they were going to take at 32. So getting him at, I think 43, uh, or whatever pick he was, I think that is a very good value for that, that spot. Um, and then I said, I was hoping we'd get, uh, an offensive lineman. So, um, Make sure I got his name right. Ed Ingram. Ed Ingram. Thank you. Um, I'm excited about him. And then they also got another tackle later, but uh, top three guys from the SEC. So it's tough to go wrong. I think picking starters from an SEC team. Only way you could do
2: better is all Pac-12ers. <laughs> Quack.
1: Conference of Champions. Yeah, I feel like I I hated the initial trade. I, I think I sent that to this group. Um I had a really hard time rationalizing why we had an opportunity to pick the number 1 safety in the draft at 12 and that was the safety out of Notre Dame, Go Irish. And then we trade back to what to what felt like not a lot of value, like basically to add a third rounder. And then we end up taking the third best safety in the draft. To me it was like I don't I didn't see uh, is it sign Sin seen saw so i I didn't I see him both. as like the best player available at the time we picked at thirty two so to me it made it seem like we were trying to get somebody in the secondary and to go for the same position that we could have had at twelve just it seems silly to me that was it very seems like they panicked me, yeah. and then mismanaged a little bit of the situation um I mean, again, you can always do the well, we'll look back in three years and see how these these top three picks pan out, but it was that that was really frustrating. It felt like we kind of got schooled, and then also to be by the lions, which anytime you're getting schooled by the lions, you're probably a couple grades behind. so that's frustrating, yeah, I was really
3: curious, like was seeing their guy and they just didn't want to pick him at twelve. And like, they were like, we're reaching for this. And then they probably weren't expecting Hamilton to be there. Um, So I just, yeah, I was very confused also. Um, But I think, yeah, it, 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 they started to figure it out. I think it was a lot of maybe like first time jitters and they maybe got taken advantage of a little bit with that, that first trade,
2: but yeah, time will tell. Am I Uh, missing something on sign? Like, it wasn't he didn't don't people consider him, him to be he was the best player on the best defense in college football like the so, most like, impactful but, player like the leader of a really, really good defense like what and Hamilton was like, jury's not out on him, people are worried about his size. is he going to have enough speed if he bulks up even a little bit like that's what analysts
3: were so I think Lewis Riddick did say, which was. Very, I was happy to hear because usually I feel like they dog the Vikings for their picks. But he was like, "I think this guy is better than Hamilton. He's faster. He's going to be a better fit for the NFL." Um, so that was, I was, that was optimistic about that.
1: I think the the thing is that like, he's not the best player on that team. They had they had D tackles and DNs who were, who were kind of their guys. Well, he might've been like a captain of their defense. I don't think he was like the best player. And so for me, I look at it as the opposite. He played on the best defense in the, in the NCAA basically. So he probably had to do less than a guy like Hamilton did in college. But I think that again, time will tell on this one, but to me it just seemed like a really weird move where I think all, almost consensus Kyle Hamilton was the top safety in the draft. So again, if it works out great, but I just felt like the situation was really confusing. And I, I, I I'm almost guaranteeing the Vikings weren't like signs our guy. You don't trade back 20 picks if you're trying to like right. find our guy. So um, yeah, if you, yeah, he can totally pan out. And I think him being on Georgia, you could look at it those two ways. But to me, I feel like he had a lot of help in college and, He'll have a lot in the NFL too, but I, I'm I'm concerned with our secondary. So obviously it'll be young this year with both our top two picks being secondary guys.
0: Really didn't like their moves at all. I thought just in terms of like aggregate value and creating a competitive advantage through the draft, they did a really poor job. I mean, going into the draft, they had the 12th pick, the 46th pick in the second round and then the 77th pick in the third. And then like a, a fifth, three, six and a seventh. They left with the 32nd pick in the first basically the same pick in the second round and then the 27th pick of the second round so like they moved back 20 spots to essentially pick up a late second rounder and they made the trades with division rivals like the point of the draft is to create a competitive advantage for your team but when you're helping out two teams that you play twice a year i just don't see how that how you're getting the best value in terms of creating wins for your team through trades. So I really didn't like the moves from that perspective. Um, I mean, I'm, I think I'm optimistic with seeing, it seems like he, he's actually a good pick. And I agree with what Lou said, Booth junior seems like a guy who could have gone in the first round easily, but I, I felt like, why did you have to trade with the Packers to give them a good wide receiver? Um, Right. When they do it twice and it's the two division, like they're both within our division.
3: It just was like, what the hell are we doing here? So
0: I just didn't like it in terms of like creating an advantage over your division rivals.
1: Yeah. One question I have kind of for Ike, but also for the whole group. I know we talked about the Adam Thielen thing, which I thought honestly going into the mock draft, I had not really thought about that a ton about like trying to address this need that Adam Thielen might be on borrowed time. And I thought that was an excellent point pre-draft. Do you feel a little like, I don't know, less excited about the thing that about the possibility of we took a sixth round pick wide receiver out of Michigan state. Seems like if that will be a need this year, we totally whiffed on addressing it. Or do you feel like we took the positions that we need now? Maybe we roll the dice one more year with Adam Thielen. How you, how's everyone feeling about that? I think the more I thought
2: about it, my I like the point that I was trying to make last week is that like everybody kept saying we're drafting, trying to get our third wide receiver. But I th- I think if you were drafting a wide receiver this year, you were drafting your number two, mm-hmm. which is like different than the idea of getting your third wide receiver. Because I mm-hmm. I just like I said last week, I like Thielen. You just, he's just kind of a question mark at this point. Like you just don't know For exactly sure. what you're getting from him. So I. I don't know. I, I I could see it both ways. I think the defense was an absolute mess last year and that was... Yeah. The, I think in terms of upside of improvement, you have more upside for improvement on your defense and I think that will prove to be more valuable and then hopefully try to get a guy next year.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. If they were to go, say, go after Jamison Williams at number 12, he's not... We're not taking him to be our, our mm-hmm. number three guy, right? He's going to be him and jet on the outside are going to be running deep and it's going to be, it would be really fun to watch. But I think that's, they were like, we're good with Adam Thielen for another season at least. And then we'll, we'll figure it out. Maybe we go after a trade or a free agent or I don't, they might, they clearly were like, yeah, wide receiver is not a top need at this time.
0: So we totally destroyed. it. Like our mock draft was horrible. We were not even close. Um, brutal. piggyback ride so Pat here. <laughs> Pat's on my back. I did get the number eight pick correctly with the Falcons, but, uh, Hey, um, how the draft played out. How would you guys have used the 12th pick the way it actually played out? If you were sitting there in Casey's spot, it's a, it's a good
1: question, but it's a hard question because I don't know what other offers they had, but if I only had that one offer, I think I take Hamilton in the first round. Um, That's my opinion. I think I would do the
3: same thing, honestly, just because he was clearly, like you said, consensus best defensive back at that point, I think. Certainly best safety available. Um, I think that's probably what I would have done too. You know what I would have done. I would have picked Jordan Davis. (laughs) He was there. (laughs) There I would have taken him.
1: Yeah, that's our guy.
3: You'll probably look at your chops like, I finally got it. I was, you know, we get the only pick, right? And then...
2: We just want to get the ball run down our throats again all year?
3: No, no thank you. The more you.
0: clips I saw of him, I was like, dang, I really wish we had taken him, knowing that we passed on him that to trade good, back yeah. like that. Uh, oh, he's a beast. He was huge don't what would I you? i think have i'm done? with ike i think i would have taken the d tackle like the, the i i had heard of him and i knew he was like a combine freak but i thought he was a guy who didn't really produce on the field but his highlight reel was insane he was moving for a big dude
3: i mean that's a good point like kind of has been glossed over on like a need position because i think we technically have a guy there but like michael pierce is gone like we haven't really had a good dominant force there in quite a while Bro, just think of your front four. If you had
2: Tomlinson, uh, Davis, Hunter, and uh, what's Denis, his face, uh, Zedarius, Zedarius
1: Smith. Smith, yeah, that's formidable. That is w- one slight combat to that. Is I think they're going to a three-four. So you switch back, um, man. You switch back for that front four. Even exactly. more, exactly. it's kind, of, kind of important though to have a really good guy in the middle in a three-four. I feel like. Well, and equally as important to have depth. In the yeah. middle, because if that guy goes down and you don't have a a decent backup, good luck. Damn. Good luck. I think you maybe swung me. Draft was a bust. bust. That's
2: minuses all
3: around. <laughs> and I
1: could be wrong about the three-four thing, but <laughs> I think we're going to a three-four. So.
2: Oh, no, they're doing both, aren't they? Didn't they say they're doing both? Oh, They're going to work in both? Yeah. Everybody likes both. That's going to be terrible. Because you don't have two
1: quarterbacks. That's a good thing, you know. You you don't have one, is what they say. I really
3: thought, speaking of quarterbacks, I was like 60% sure they were going to take Malik
1: Willis at like 34. Nah. Kellen Mond's our guy. Kellen Mond. (laughs) All right, well. Any other final draft notes? Otherwise, let's move on to the first place, Minnesota Twins. Hey yo, we're gonna win. Dalton,
0: Twins, we're gonna score. I think
1: I, as was revealed on Twitter this week, apparently the MLB has already decided to give Ro- Joe Ryan the Cy Young. So Dalton, congratulations. Um, guy throws one seven inning good game, and all <laughs> of a sudden everyone's blowing him. So congratulations, hey baby, Dalton. Did you see that little ahead, turtleneck he was wearing? We're, we're three starts into this guy's career, and he's the greatest pitcher to ever wear the Oh, man. Won. I mean,
0: Joe Ryan with a 1.17 ERA, low walk rate, high strikeout rate. He's thrown a slider more this year from 16% last year to 30% this year. Still a fastball that looks like it's rising. <clears throat> guys missing bats all over the place just looking sexy on the mound with the the short-sleeve mock turtleneck? White turtleneck? Has that ever been done before? I mean, this guy's must-see TV if you're a Twins fan.
3: New new most exciting baseball player. <laughs> he might be the second baseball? most. Maybe the yeah. most exciting pitcher. Man.
0: Wow. He's fun to watch, though. With,
1: and, and with key wins over Kansas City and Detroit, like, we don't talk about how big those wins are enough, right? Like, going against some juggernaut programs, like, <laughs>
0: Kansas City, Detroit, that's so, that's just enormous. Ooh, uh, kudos household to, names Yeah, to Ryan on hey, that. Yeah, whoever's, whoever's in the box, he's getting them out. It doesn't matter. He can't control mm-hmm. that.
1: He struck out Miggy. <laughs> Should we put him in the hall?
0: <laughs> hey, I mean, he's got my vote. I'm just going to say it again. It might be the best trade in Minnesota Twins history, all said and done. And we had a Joe, Joe Nathan trade where we got Joe Nathan for a bag of bones, basically. So, uh, this this mm-hmm. is a great move by the the front office. The front office is having Huge. a nice little run right now where they're saying, We told you so. We didn't need to we didn't need to sign any front end pitching this offseason. Look at all these young guys we've got. It's paying off, but it, it feels like you close your eyes, roll a dice, said I'm gonna roll a six, and then it's a six, and you're like, Yeah, told you. But odds are it wasn't gonna work out, but they they got lucky here.
1: Yeah. Who would have thought like our pitching is like kind of our one thing we feel pretty good about this year. Like, boy, was I wrong egg on my face. Um, I was, I was probably leading the charge carrying the flag in that parade that was nervous about the pitching staff. Lo and behold, it is a few of the hitters that were worried about, you know, who we're not worried about Byron Buxton Dalton Lucas, any comments, on uh, the greatest player to ever wear a baseball uniform. Well, I will say that his uh,
3: 755 slugging percentage is pretty insane. Um, I was a little concerned just looking at the, the the stats today. Only one stolen base. You know who also has a stolen base this year? Miguel Sano, Gary Sanchez. So then I thought more about it. If he's slugging 755. He's not getting a whole lot of opportunities to swipe second because he's already there. He's already circling the bases, so it's early yet. Twenty-two games in, he's only played fifteen. One hundred and forty more to go, so that's usually twice what he normally plays in a
2: season. So, think about hopefully this. Hopefully, he keeps it up with the stolen bases, Lou. Number one, Moneyball tells us stolen bases, man, toss them out the window. Who needs it? Number two, man's made out of glass and hardened clay, like. You don't want him... Every time he steals, it's an injury risk. So Mm. maybe you just give it up. Maybe you say, hey, is it really worth it for us to have this guy stealing bases or would you rather have him smacking that thing around? The baseball, that is. Smacking it. Okay, thanks, yeah. Dalton, I got a question for you. When are you going to write your apology to Max Kepler?
0: Connor, you too. Yeah, man, old noodle arm has been... He's got a noodle arm. He's been swinging a hot stick. I mean... five dinghies dinghies. 877 OPS
2: nobody here had faith that he'd he'd be at his above average OPS above 800 but here we are and the cold weather too pretty people don't like to play in the cold and he's finding a way
1: you know the thing for me is my biggest complaint is the noodle arm I think He just is seen as a better outfielder than he is. Um, I'm really, I guess I'm happy for him that he's hitting at the dish, but I definitely was not optimistic about him in any sense of the game. He's definitely better at right field than he is at center. That's for sure. So if Buxton stays healthy, that'll be a big thing. I'm not ready to write the apology just yet, but come back at 60 games if he's still balling out and if maybe he starts lifting a little, get that arm into shape. We might be looking at a full apology from old boy here. Get oh, him on the, throw him him the Jagger throwing program.
2: What are, what yeah. are that things called? Yeah. Drive, line. drive line.
0: I'm with you, Connor. He's, he's one of those guys that can get really hot. Um, it is encouraging, of course, come out of the gates, swinging hot stick, hitting bombs, looking good. But, uh, you know, there, there's still time to come back to earth. But like in 2019, I mean, the team gets hot. Everyone's hitting well it's sort of it's contagious and then if you're two months into the season and you're having a great season i mean it's it's, it's baseball is so much mental that i can sort of carry you the rest of the way so love a hot start from old kepler it is interesting though like his his hard hit percentage is the same as it was last year like he he's not actually like drilling the ball like more consistently but when he does hit it it's it is uh it's just working out more i mean he's pulling the ball more frequently than he has since 2019. Um, He pulled the ball 46% of the time in 2019. The last two seasons, it's been like 32, 37. He's back up over 40 now. So um, I think that's a good sign for him is when he's pulling the ball. it means he's probably hitting it hard. Um, Otherwise, a lot of times he's sort of popping up weekly the other way. So keep on yanking it, Max.
1: The ball that is sexually and (laughs) otherwise. my last note on the twins is Miguel Sano sucks at baseball. And I think all of us really kind of saw this coming in a lot of ways. I think we kind of had a love fest for like him before we season. Have,
0: we, yeah, we were like over under 30. I think we were split there. I like was optimistic. We, I, we, yeah, I was hands optimistic. Up, I don't think I saw you. this coming, but it, it is definitely bad.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think in general, looking at his career, we always get excited in the preseason, but I think it, we can finally say for sure, no doubts, Sano sucks at baseball. And it's time to move on, in my opinion.
2: No, nah, I mean, he hasn't even had his chance to get hot. You know how he goes. He goes, he's like this, and then he'll have a month where he's, you can't get him out. He's hitting the ball all over. And the he'll stance. still be hitting 197. <laughs> I don't care about his average, man. I'm just in it for the dingers. Dingers. I will say he is
3: one of my favorite guys to watch. Actually, like the ball just jumps. I feel like when he does hit it. So
0: I think Sano's gonna have trouble getting more ABs until soon. we see an infield injury. Cause at this point it looks like he might be in a platoon situation with Luis Arise. Ariz has been playing first base a lot. So every time there's a righty pitching arises at first, which means Sano is only going to probably get starts against lefties. And so that, that doesn't leave a ton of room for him to sort of get hot. You know, you, you come in, you have one game, he's a boomer bust guy. And if he hits a bomb, like then he might have to go sit on the bench for another three or four games before he gets another at bat. So that is a little concerning. Um, so it might take, you know, an injury to Gio Urshela or Polanco or someone where then arise has to shift over to bring Sano back in regularly. Yikes. We'll see. But I mean, there's, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be excited about this year. I mean, we've got our young pitchers. We've got Joe Ryan. We mentioned 1.17 ERA. Bailey Ober's got an ERA under three. Joan Duran. He's been like, he was the talk of MLB opening weekend, throwing one Oh two nasty splinker, striking out 15 guys per nine innings. I mean, that he's, he's got an arm. I mean, he's, he is the closer of the future. He might be the closer already. I mean, he's, he's throwing like seventh, eighth inning, but he's got a save. Um, and then we saw Josh Winder throw today against the Rays had a nice start. He's got an ERA 2.2, um, kind of a nice, one of those prospects. that will probably come up and be a back of the rotation guy for us. So Ton of young pitching, really fun. Carlos Correa is starting to heat up. Uh, he's hitting 357 in his last seven games. So look out because he started the season really slow. Um but you know, the, you know, there are some 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 sort of warts. Ryan Jeffers looking like he might not be the catcher of the future, unfortunately. Um Caleb bar, Tyler Duffy have been bad. So there are some issues, but the Twins are winning, man. The Twins are winning, and if you look at their schedule in the month of May, it's pretty weak. It's a lot of the Royals, a lot of the Tigers, a lot of the Guardians. So this is our month to really put a cushion between them and the rest of the division if, if they're for real.
1: Better make sure Joe Ryan gets a lot of starts this month. Um, one interesting thing that I saw was uh, in the early race between the two ancient pitchers, Sonny Gray with the, or excuse me, Chris Archer with the slight edge over Sonny Gray. Um, Archer only has like 15 innings. Gray has like six, but Gray has a loss already and his ERA is double of Archer. So the early front runner there, Chris Archer, appears to be in front. Much to our dismay, we all picked Sonny Gray, I believe, to have a better season. So more to follow here
0: on that. Are you guys believers? Do you guys think this team? Well, you guys think this team is actually for real, or do you think this is a flash in the pan? Because I've, I think I'm kind of buying in that this team might actually be a, the real deal. Because all reports are that the guys love each other. Like Josh Donaldson's gone, and apparently that like ch- totally changes the clubhouse dynamics. And these dudes are BFFs.
1: I think it's a flash in the pan. I'm, I'm staying true to my pick in the preseason. I think these guys can be as good of friends as they want, but when it comes to playing ball, they're just not there yet. I'm with you,
3: Dalt. Buxton's hopefully going to stay healthy, keep this up. You know, Carlos Correa looks like he's turning things around a little bit. And, you know, my guy MVP watch, Gio Urshela, is going to come out. Once the weather gets hot, him, Miggy's going to start
2: swinging it. We just need that sun to come out a little bit. Why not buy in, right? Why not? Have some fun. It's a long summer, baby. Let's go. go. Uh,
1: Official vote for Ike goes to why not. Um, (laughs) Well, with that, that's episode 64 from the Mini Market Podcast. First time in a a while that we have covered all four sports in one episode. So this one might be a little bit longer, but sit tight. It's going to be a fun series for the Wild and and a long summer for the Twins. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, like, us on Twitter. Go Wolves.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful.
2: I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.